listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. If you would, please stand for our reading of scripture today. We're going to be uh, finishing out our series of lament, and I'll be reading Psalm 22. Um, If you're new here today, uh, after we conclude our scripture reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and uh, if you agree with that sentiment, you're invited to respond, thanks be to God. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord, let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, the strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax, melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stephen. I know those long passages sometimes can feel a lot. Um, 
But Psalm 22 is such a vital psalm that it was important for us to read through, um, and you'll see why in, in, a, in a bit. But um, welcome. Uh, I want to just say happy official summer, first and foremost. Hopefully today's weather reflects that. Um, I love summertime, so I'm excited about it. As you can tell, some people already commented on my shirt, but uh, my name is Samir. I have the honor of being one of your pastors, uh, and it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Like Stephen mentioned, we are uh, one church, two locations um, here at Story City, and Granada Hills was launched in September of this last year, of 2022. So we're excited that God has been doing some some fun things, and actually uh, our one-year anniversary is not too far from now, but it's pretty cool to see uh, just what God is doing amongst us. Uh, Here at Story City, uh, part of our culture code, there are two things that we like to say, and there's more, but these two really reside in this this last series, is one is practicing restoration is something that we pursue. Um, As you know, last week we talked about Juneteenth and made a statement on that, and restoration is a, a call from God for us and what he's done for us in restoring us and our call as God's people to desire restoration. Um, Another one is stewarding suffering well. Uh, Stewarding suffering is one that I think a lot of us want to maybe avoid because suffering is not a fun thing, but we believe God's called us to steward suffering well, which is why we we are doing a Psalm of Lament series uh, talking about how do we walk through the hard times, the hard moments, the hard seasons of life, uh, and what does it mean to lament well uh, according to God's word. So I want to review really quickly with you for those that have been with us, because I know it's not like you're going to remember every single uh, sermon the last four weeks. And for those that are new, to, re- to kind of ref- to refresh us and to help us know where we're at in our series, we've been going through the Psalms of Lament the last four weeks. Uh, the first week we were in Psalm 73, so if you guys remember, Psalm 73, that big idea was that life is a battle for our desires and our affections but only God can fulfill them. The week after that was Psalm 77, where we saw that leaning into lament leads us to praise. And then last week was Psalm 10, where we recognized that hope can be found even in the darkest places. And today we will be in Psalm 22, and we will dive into that, and you will soon know what the big idea is for today. But before I jump in, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for our time together that we can reflect on your word, and God, hear your word spoken and read, but also proclaimed and declared and received. And we ask you, Lord, not that it just be heard, uh, but that it be transformative in our souls, that our hearts will receive your word, but also that your presence may be with us so that we may know you intimately, deeply, and you may transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you've called us to be here together in your midst, in your presence, uh, and that we can grow in you and become more like your son. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I mentioned earlier, this psalm, Psalm 22, is one of the most significant psalms, if not chapters, in all of Scripture. It's so significant because it references Jesus while he's on the cross. And remember, this was written a thousand years before Jesus even came to earth. 
And I don't know, as we were reading, if you recognize, oh, that sounds like what happened to Jesus. And Jesus even references this psalm while he is on the cross, and we will see that in a bit together. That's a big deal. It's also important to know that in Jewish tradition, that when a rabbi references a verse in scripture, that they are referencing the entire section of that scripture. So it's like an example, like if, if I would say a lyric to a song, the beginning lyric to a song, a lot of us will be like, oh, I can memorize and know the entire song. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sample it out for you guys right now. You are. Yeah, we know it. We know it. No, someone was like, I don't know if I want to sing it. Right? We will recognize now. Now that's going to be stuck in your head all day. You're welcome. That is, I want it that way by Backstreet Boys, right? And, and so in a lot of ways, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he's, he referenced the first section of the, ver, of, the, of the section, the first verse of that whole psalm, and the people that were listening would have recognized right away where that was in scripture. And they would have been like, he's talking about this whole section of scripture. And so that's important for us to understand as we're working through this together. So this is a lament that, that, that David wrote. He wrote this lament, but it also is a foreshadowing of the prophecy of Jesus and the cross. A prophecy is something that was foretold um, long ago, and that became true. It also signifies a significant uh, understanding that David references the piercing of the hands and the feet, if you guys remember as we were reading it. This gives us some vivid description of what happens during execution via crucifixion. The significant thing about this is that crucifixion did not exist during David's time. Crucifixion started 700 years after David wrote that psalm. So he's referencing very vivid details of what crucifixion looks like, and he has no idea what that is. That's very significant. So this psalm is a unifying, predictive prophecy that affirms and highlights Jesus as the Messiah and Lord. We can be fairly certain, this is a commentary by James Boyce, he says this, we can be fairly certain that Jesus was meditating on the Old Testament during the hours of his suffering and that he saw his crucifixion as a fulfillment of Psalm 22. So as David laments as he wrote this psalm, it helps us personally live out and walk into our seasons of lament and walk into our seasons of struggle and how do we personally live that out in light of God's word. But even more importantly than that, this psalm helps us point to Jesus on the cross which made a way for us to be in the presence of God forever. This leads me to my first, or my big idea of today. If, if we would say, what is the whole sermon about? This is what the big idea is. That lament is a path to his presence. Lament is a path to his presence and his being God's presence. 
There's three major observations that we can look at in this truth that lament is a path that David really clearly shows us in this psalm, but also what Jesus reflects on the cross and what that means for us today. The first observation is that the path to his presence is revealed through proximity, not circumstance. The path to his presence is revealed through proximity, not circumstance. Proximity meaning where he is amongst us. Is he near to us? Not our circumstance. I want to read the first five verses one more time for us to remind us what David was crying out and what Jesus even was also crying out on the cross. He says, my God, my God. Clearly there's a relationship, right? He's crying out to his God, but he's crying out and he says, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? Why'd you leave me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors, they trusted in you. They trusted, and you rescued them. They cried to you, and you were, and, and were set free. They trusted in you, and you were not disgraced. So abandonment, this idea of abandonment and distance and rejection from the ones we love specifically to the God of the universe really is significant. Abandonment, rejection, distance is a trauma in our lives that we sometimes overlook. It brings to us this hard reality for many that a circumstance is secondary to the presence of those we love. I remember this last week, um, I was preparing to go on a lead team retreat for the church, and I informed the little ones, my little girls, and I and Zoe, and they immediately were saddened, right? Their circumstance had not changed, Everything was great, but automatically the reality of them knowing that their father was going to be absent for a few days created a sadness and a deep longing for me to be there. When it was like, if I didn't say nothing, nothing would have happened. But in understanding that, their circumstance has not changed at all. But the threat of the presence of one that they loved was the only difference in that circumstance. So naturally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take them to breakfast early in the morning I leave so that they are with me and they feel a little comforted by that reality. And it worked. It helped, right? It helped them grasp it. But the truth is, is that they didn't care as much of their daily circumstance as much as they did their presence with me. It's just the truth across the board. So as we reflect on the good circumstances in our life, when things are good, when things feel like they're going well, our circumstances, they're, they're okay. But yet there is a hole in our heart or there is a need not, going, not being met in the depths of our soul and we're wondering why there's a presence that's missing with ones that we love deeply. Or in a hard season, when our circumstances suck and things are not going well and things are difficult, but yet for some reason there is a peace in our soul, in our hearts, 
Because the ones we love are riding with us through the hard time. Right? Those vast differences within the two display the reality that the presence of those we love over the circumstances we're in are so much more important in who we are. Who we are with overrides our circumstance. Which leads me to my next observation today. I'm going through the first two quickly because the last observation is we're going to stick there for a minute. The second observation is that his presence, God's presence, answers our deepest need. His presence answers our deepest need. We saw it, right, in verse 11 and 19 as David was crying out, why have you left me? Why have you left me? He is asking in return for God to respond. He says this in verse 11 and 19. He says, don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. You're all I got. Is what he's saying. I need you with me. Verse 19, then he says, but you, Lord, don't be far from me. You're my strength. He says my strength, but he's saying he is my strength. Come quickly to help me. He recognizes the presence of his God is the only thing that will get him through that circumstance that he's in. Because our circumstance changing is great, right? We want that. If we're in a tough spot, we do desire our circumstance to get better. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't desire that. But what I am saying is that his presence is what we need in that moment. That the depths of our empty souls is in need of God's presence and nearness. That the comfort we need in hard circumstances is not for things to change, but for God's presence to be tangible in that moment. The hard question, though, in the midst of that reality, that when things are hard, when things are difficult, we can say, God, I want you here, I need you here in that circumstance. It's sometimes hard to see that. It's sometimes hard to even believe that he would be here, that he would be with us in those moments. Because the hard question to believe for all of us, for those that have been following Jesus for a long time, for those that just recently really sought out the Lord and him pursuing you and you recognize that, or those that have never pursued God in this, The hard reality and the hard question is that how is it that the God of the cosmos, the creator of the universe, the the God of all things, the holy and perfect God who is worthy of all praise and surrender, how is it that he desires or can be present with little old me? How is that possible? What does that even mean? How do I even grasp that? How do I even make that real and tangible? It seems like a distant, cool little kumbaya thing to say, but how is that real? How is that, how is that true? How can that be possible? It seems far-fetched. It's hard to fathom. But this is why the third observation is so crucial third observation for us today is that his presence is possible because of the cross. His presence is possible because of the cross. I'm not going to just leave you there. 
I'm going to break this down, and, and it's going to take maybe some depth in this area, and it's going to take some, hopefully, I'm going to have to put my teacher's hat on, and you're going to have to put your, your listeners and students' hat on to really see this and grasp this a little bit more intimately and real for you, and I'm going to spend a lot of time in this section. But the reality is that Jesus, and we all know, right, there's historic evidence in all antiquity that Jesus existed. Whether, whether it's secular, whether it's Christian, whether with all the writings and documents, there is clear evidence that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived, that he lived a life and he died, right? It's true. It's factual. There's no one ever in history that says he never really existed. Like, it's facts. It is true that he came to this earth, but not only did he come to be present with us and came to this earth, but he also made a way to be with him forever by taking abandonment and death on the cross for us in our place. Jesus was abandoned so that we don't have to be. Now the question is, in this scenario, which a lot of theologians ask, did the Father really leave Jesus? Was he really abandoned by God? What does that mean? And this comes to the reality of theology where Jesus is known and recognized here that we have to understand that he is fully God and fully man in this scenario. And in, and in history and who he is, right? He is fully God and fully man. We must wrap our finger around this truth that how does the Father withdraw from Jesus if they are both in perfect unity in divinity together in that moment? See, it is impossible for them to be fully apart because they are in divine unity with one another. They are one. They are God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Nothing could ever separate that reality. Nothing can separate God from being God. God never ceases to be God, ever, period. So what's happening in this moment then? The fully human reality of Jesus, who lived on this earth, is taking the abandonment and the wrath for us, okay? There is a complexity to this truth that leaves a little space for mystery. This is something that, I don't know about you, a lot of people have a hard time with, the mysteriness of God. Like, like the, the reality that we cannot fully grasp every single detail. But you know, for me personally, I don't know about you, but for me personally, personally, if I fully understood all of God, is he really God? Is he really that big and profound? If I, little old me, can fully grasp every little thing about him? He is way too big for me to understand. And that leaves a little bit of mystery that we can sometimes be like, you know what, in the mystery, I can reside my facts, the understanding of my heart that proves that he is truly who he says he is. I can't fully get it, but I can see how it makes sense, but I don't fully understand how that truly works, but that makes a lot of sense because he needed to take the abandonment and the wrath upon him so that we can have intimacy and relationship with God. But how it all in detail works sometimes is hard to fully grasp. 
Yet Jesus not only endured, he endured the withdrawal of the Father's fellowship as the human nature of who he was, but he also, the actual outpouring of the Father's wrath upon him as a substitute for sinful humanity. He had to take the wrath and the abandonment that we, all of us, deserve to take. He took it for us. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, this was the blackness and darkness of this horror. Then it was that, then it was that he penetrated the depths of the caverns of suffering for us. Horrible as this was, as horrible as this might sound, it fulfilled God's good and loving plan of redemption for humanity. He had this plan set up from the beginning. Therefore, Isaiah could say this statement in Isaiah 53. He says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise him. Why? Because the plan from all antiquity, the plan to restore back humanity back to himself so that presence of God can be present with God's people could be possible by the bruising and the abandonment of the Lord Jesus. Jesus lived his life on earth in a way that displayed his humanity, his humanness to us so that we can be confident to know that he understands us, that he knows where we're coming from, that he is near to us, that he felt and experienced joy, love, and gladness the way we can and do. But he also experienced pain, sadness, anger, betrayal, temptation, suffering, lament, even abandonment and death on a cross. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we heard it earlier today. I want to say it again and share it again. It says this about who Jesus is. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus. We have a great high priest. Priests are those who speak for us and are the, are the, the gap between us and God. He unites us together, right? He is a great high priest. He unites us. He who has passed through the heavens, he came from heaven to earth. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession of him. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he is without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need, in times of lament, in times of pain, in times of hurt. I'm so grateful. See, I wouldn't have written it this way if I was the one writing the story, right? I'm so grateful I wasn't. I'm so grateful to have a God who can sympathize with me. That he has been there and he has done that and he has felt it and he has been in the midst of this world and felt the pains of it, but he lived it perfectly. He's our perfect example on this earth. God is now present with us as our creator, but also as one who lived in this world and knows the struggle. 
how intimate and powerful it is to have a God who knows us this well. This great God, this creator of the universe, this God that seems so distant but yet knows us so intimately and so well to the point where he brought his son so that we can be near to him in this way. And a God who will sacrifice his own comfort. Gosh, if I don't know about you, I'm sure if you're in the scenario where you were in the, in the situation of Jesus and you were God and you were perfect and you were in this perfect holy place and unity that you were fully rejoicing in. People, you know, you had all the glory in the world to make the decision to go to the earth, to reside amongst broken humanity and take the suffering he took and to take on the flesh that we have that he didn't originally have and to feel the things that we felt. He knew the outcome. And he took that sacrifice. He was willing to take it. I know I wouldn't have done that. A God who will sacrifice his own comfort and perfection to assure that he can share his love and presence with you. That's why he did it. With us. On the cross, a holy transaction took place. God the Father regarded God the Son as if he were a sinner. As the Apostle Paul would later write, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our place in trial. He took our place and he pleaded guilty for our sin, not the sin he committed. There was no sin in him. He pled guilty for our sin and had to take the punishment for it. This is why this prophetic psalm is so profound. It points us to that moment in history when Jesus was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he shouted out because he knew that the perfect plan of redemption is coming to pass in that very moment. And it points us to the prophetic passage of Psalm 22 in that very moment. I want to just take us to that moment and just read it really quickly when Jesus was on the cross in Mark. There's another version of that in in Matthew when he, um, but I want to use the one in Mark for us today. Mark 15, 33 to 39. Just envision being, every time I see this or read this scripture, I'm thinking myself as one of the crowd members, right? We're seeing this. We're we're seeing this moment when Jesus is on the cross and and what happens around us. So as I'm reading, reflect as like you being present in that moment. Verse 33 says this, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Stop right there for a second. I've been to Jerusalem. I don't know if y'all been there. We're actually going to be going in March. So if y'all down, I'll bring that up again later. But that's where my family's from. I've been there several times. It does not go dark at noon. Ever in history. That's never happened. At noon, the sun is up. From noon to three, there was no sun. It was completely dark. Never in the history of all mankind (laughs) in Jerusalem at 12 to three was it completely dark other than this moment. We can read past it and be like, oh, that's a moment. But like, that's a big deal. God's like, pay attention. In this moment right now. 
complete darkness. And then at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabatachtani. This is translated in Assyrian or Aramaic. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's the moment where he's think, reflecting and helping people know, go to Psalm 22. Remember that passage. This is the moment that I am. Verse 35. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. I can go into why they thought that, but that'll take time. Someone ran and filled a sponge with, a sour, with sour wine, fixed it on a stick and offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Still mocking him. Jesus then let out a loud cry and breathed his last breath. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite of him, essentially the one who just killed him, saw this and saw the way that he breathed his last and then he said, this man was the son of God. This is a moment in history where the man that just killed Jesus, like physically, recognized that he is the Messiah in that moment. He's a Roman he doesn't even know the scriptures. He wouldn't even know how to reference Psalm 22. But he realized that the darkness, the quaking, the shaking, and the tearing of the veil, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. The veil was torn. The veil that separated a holy God from sinful people so that a priest can enter and sacrifice an animal for the sins of the people so that for a moment and for a year, the people can be forgiven from their sins and be right with God, that veil was torn in two. They say it was probably about six inches thick. And they, it tore in two from the top down, right? We see it. From the top down. Ain't nobody able to go up there. From the top down, torn right in two. Declaring that by his death, the separation from God and man has been torn. And now the unity between the presence of God and the people of God has come to pass. In all of history, from thousands and thousands of years, from Genesis all the way to that moment, God's plan came to pass. His presence with us now and forever. This is the moment of this psalm. This is the moment of Jesus on the cross. This is the moment for us. We can imagine Jesus when he's crying out, why, oh God, why have you abandoned me? We can imagine the father's answer to Jesus being, because my son, you have chosen to stand in the place of guilty sinners. You, who have never known sin, have made the infinite sacrifice to become sin and receive my just wrath that is deserved upon our people upon sin and sinners, that you do this because of your great love for them and for my great love for them. 
the victory of the cross and the kingship of Jesus as I close out. Jesus, like I said earlier, Jesus pointed to the entire psalm. He, he said the first statement because he wanted y'all to know the whole thing. This is why the last section of this psalm is essential. I want to read it for us one more time. Psalm 26 to 31. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life. 30 and 31. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. David wrote this a long time ago. And we're sitting in this room right now. Evidence of this prophecy right in this moment. We are declaring the righteousness of God right now in this moment to a people yet to be born from then till now. This prophecy has come to pass right before our eyes. Right in the midst. Look around. This us. This is talking about us. The descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done as we declare what he has done for us. That he is with us now forever. The victory of King Jesus is declared. His presence is with us now today because of what he's done for us on the cross and because of the prophecy that was written thousands and thousands of years ago. In our, hardened, in our hardest seasons of lament and in our mountaintop moments of life, he is present. He is here. He is with you. Let us respond to our king in remembrance of this day, of this moment, by taking communion together and remembering the cross and remembering the blood and the body. I want to pray for us, and then I'll lead us into that time. God, we thank you that you have a perfect plan, and that not only do you have a perfect plan, but you accomplished your perfect plan for our sake in this moment where we are a part of the prophecy that was taught and shown and written thousands and thousands of years ago where your son was on the cross and declared that this prophecy has come to pass and that thousands and thousands of years later, this moment right now, the descendants, the people that have not been born yet have been born and are here now to hear your truth, to hear your word, to know that you died for us on the cross, the blood that you shed, the body that you broke, you died so that we can be present with you, so that we can have the righteousness of God, but we don't deserve it. But yet, by your grace, 
we have your righteousness, O God, and that you have washed away the sins because of what you've done for us. What great news that is, Lord. We can't just go and not remember. So in this moment, we're gonna respond to this truth by taking communion, by, by taking these elements of the bread and the juice that represent your body and your blood to say not only are we gonna listen and hear this truth, we're gonna partake in this truth and we're gonna remember this truth, oh God, will you help us have more faith to believe? Will you help us throughout this week know you more intimately and be with you more intimately and pursue you the way you're pursuing us? God, may you help us because we can't do it on our own. Thank you for your continued faithfulness and love for us. It's so evident and true. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.